0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Why do we have Palm Sunday? This is really important, especially for you young people. Time and place. The two southern tribes of Israel have been taken captive to Babylon and it's roughly 550 B.C. The person is uh, the prophet Daniel who was carried away captive from Jerusalem in 605 B.C. Now after roughly 55 years of captivity, God reveals through Daniel to his people, the Israelites, one of the most important prophecies in the Old Testament. Please hear that. This is one of the most important prophecies of the Old Testament. This prophecy tells exactly when the Messiah would come. In Daniel chapter 9:25 we read this: "Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the prince shall be 7 weeks and 3 score and 2 weeks the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times." We're going to move ahead 100 years to 445 BC. BC before Christ. Young people, it's not BCC. You're being taught that it's BCC now, before Common Era. Or BCE, sorry, BCE, before Common Era. No, it's before Christ. And so, if you'd like to turn to Nehemiah chapter 2, 1 through 6, 445 BC, Nehemiah. If you're new or visiting, we believe in the Bible, so we want you to have a Bible. We encourage you to have a Bible. There should be one more set of lights, Terrence. There we go. There they are. Now we got them. Very, very important. There's Nehemiah. The little white cross shows you roughly where in your Bible you're going to find it. It's one of those little books. Two books in front, two books after. Nehemiah chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, he had never been sad in the presence before. So Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He was the king's best friend. He was the last one, the last defense before someone might try to poison the king. Therefore, the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. Somebody's got a plot for my life. You're my cupbearer. Something's not right here. So I became dreadfully afraid. That's why that says that. And said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? The king would know that this would be Jerusalem. Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Again, the king would know Jerusalem. Then the king said to me, the queen, also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Historical documents tell us that Nehemiah went before the king in the ninth month of Nisan, which is the March-April time frame. You see, once the king gave the command to rebuild the walls, the prophetic clock spoken of by Daniel started ticking. This is very important. Keep this in mind. Because according to the word of God, when Israel becomes a nation... When Jerusalem once again becomes the capital of Israel, the prophetic clock ticks. Jesus said, this generation shall not pass until I return. The generation that sees Israel, the generation that sees the capital city become Jerusalem again, that generation shall not pass. Very, very important, especially for you young people. In Babylon, which is located in modern-day Iraq, there was a palace in the city of Shushan. In this city, there have been excavations that have produced writings that give us the exact date of that command to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Young people, you're going to be told that the Bible is irrelevant, it's archaic, um, there's there's no historical facts behind it, blah, blah, blah. Well, let's see what happens here. Sir Robert Anderson, who lived from May 29th, 1841, through November 15th, 1918, gives us this information in his book, The Coming Prince. So if you'd like to do some research, feel free to do it. He was an investigator for Scotland Yard at one point in his life. He was raised in a Christian home and considered a theologian as well. So from his investigation and research he was able to come to the conclusion that the date was March 14th, 445 B.C. He then took and multiplied the number of weeks spoken of by Daniel, the number 69 times 7, 7 days in a week, then multiplied that by 360 days, the Babylonian calendar, that was in the days of Daniel, And with that, he came up with a total of 173,880 days. Big whoop. Well, since then, or since there are 365 and a quarter days in the Julian calendar, you then divide 360 and a quarter into 173,880 days, and you come up with the date April 6th, 32 A.D. Huh. This is the exact date when Jesus came in on a colt of a donkey. The exact date. Let's look at Luke chapter 19. This now gives us the background needed to truly understand the importance of this day. Why do we celebrate Palm Sunday? In no other time of history has such a day been prophesied. God spoke through the prophet Daniel to give the people the exact date. Jesus fulfilled th- over 300 prophecies. Now, there was a mass- mathematician who did some research on how, what would that look like to, to fulfill seven prophecies? Just seven prophecies. Well, what does that mean? Like I could say this morning, there's someone here who has a bad back. Whoa, wow, I have really got it, huh? No, okay, so that, that's pretty wide. I'm pretty much going to be 100% correct, right? And there's someone here who has a bad back she's a female okay now it narrows there's someone here who has a bad back she's a female and she has blue eyes that narrows the down more uh, there's someone here so forth and so on you get the point narrow, 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 narrow makes it harder and harder and harder to fulfill right? unless you're God and I am not so there you go but he did, and I think it's a, a foot or either two feet. Doesn't really matter. But filled the state of Texas with either foot or two foot of silver dollars, and he blindfold. He says, "I'm going to blindfold one person, and you get one chance. I'm going to mark a silver dollar. I'm going to drop it in the state of Texas, and you get one chance, blindfolded, to find the silver dollar." Well, you're going to say that's impossible. Exactly. With man, it's impossible, but not with God. It's very, very important. So look at Luke chapter 19. What's so important, especially you young people? You need to trust the word of God. When Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near Bethanage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, which would be Jerusalem. Where, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. No one. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to them, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as Jesus had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as they went, many spread their clothes on the road. So for historical relevance, this is what they would do. They would show submissiveness. They would also honor King David or whatever king might be coming into Jerusalem after a victory. This is showing honor, tremendous honor. You are worthy of our praise. Verse 37, then as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, which will actually go on uh, in April of 22, as long, as long as they do not require a vaccine, if they require a vaccine, I personally will not be going. You can get your money back and you can go on your own, but I will not be going. Or if they require us to have mask, I've done nine tours in Israel. I'm not going to wear a mask for 12 days in Israel. Not going to happen. So, but if you would like to join us, you can go on the website, you can get all the information. If you give any money, it's kept here locally, and we're not going to buy any tickets. We're not going to book any hotels until we absolutely know what the requirements are. So if the requirements come back, that they're going to be that strict, then we're not going, and you'll get all of your money back, every dime, just so you know. You'll get all of your money back. So it's in safekeeping, but uh, those are the parameters. I want to just let you know right up front so then as he was drawing near the descent of the mount of olives the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise god with a loud voice for all the mighty works which they had seen now keep your hand there and go to john chapter 12 verse 13 again this is so important the exact date guys the bible god is outside our time realm it's not hard for god to do this nor the religious book has prophecy in it because it'll be found out to be wrong Just the Bible. Can't be 90%, 95%. Got to be 100%. John chapter 12, verse 13. Took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna! So what's Hosanna? Hosanna means save now. Save us now. What are they saying? Save us now from Rome. What might you be thinking? Save us now from our presidents. Save us now from the Senate. Save us from the Congress. Save us, save us. If this is God's will to take us down, I'm praying your will be done. And save people. You need to bring the institution down. God, your will be done. But use me, use us to maybe get somebody saved out of the institution so that they don't make the institution higher than God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So when a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness or a Muslim or anybody says to you, well, you know, Jesus never claimed he was God. The Bible doesn't say that he was God. You can take them to these verses and go, no, they know that he's God. They're saying it right here. Now go back to Luke 19. Keep your hand in John. Keep your hand in John. Seeing if you can do this. Hmm. Luke 19, uh, John, uh, or Luke 19, 38, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now go back to John 12. Keep your hand on Luke. John 12, 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But... When Jesus was glorified, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, then it made sense. If you're here this morning and you do not have Jesus as your Savior, the things that I'm going to say for the rest of the morning here might not make much sense, if any sense, to you at all. You're going to go, I can't wait to get out of here and have lunch. You have to receive Jesus as your Savior. The natural man cannot appraise spiritual things, the Bible says. The spiritual man can appraise the Bible because it's the Holy Spirit showing you what's in the Bible. Then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, out of his tomb, and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met him. So why are the people coming proclaiming Hosanna, you're the king? Well, you raised Lazarus just last week. You just raised him. It wasn't very long ago. You've got to be the king because they had heard that he had done this sign. So it wasn't a matter of a, a relationship. It was just, oh, you performed that sign. You must be the king. That will play into our study. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are not accomplishing nothing? Look, the world has gone after him. I want to make this relevant to today. If you believe in the rapture, which Calvary believes in the rapture, very few churches believe in the rapture. You are part of a minority of Christianity. It's in the Bible. They say, no, it's only a 100 or 150-year-old doctrine. Well, the scriptures are not 100 or 150 years old, so I would just say that right there. No, it's a 2,000-year-old doctrine. Your interpretation might be 100 or 150 years old, but just read the Bible. If you read the Bible, Paul was writing about it when he wrote the Bible. But the Pharisees didn't see Jesus as the Messiah. People don't understand why you believe that Jesus is the Messiah. People don't, your family members, some of them look at you like you're crazy. You're a weirdo. You're wacko. You're nuts. This is all make believe. I'm speaking of my family and I know possibly some of your family members. But you know, for 43 years, I've been waiting for Jesus to come back and his word is going to be fulfilled. He's coming back at the exact day, the exact hour, the exact minute, and the exact second. How do I know that? Let's just keep reading on. Back in Luke 19, and you can take your hand out of John. We're done with John. Luke 19, 39. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop. They're calling you the Messiah. That's blasphemy. But Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Not that God's in a stone or a tree, none of that natural garbage. But if God could make a donkey talk, God could make rocks sing out. That's the point. It would be the first rock concert. But it would have have been singing out. That's just the way it is. Verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Why would he weep over Jerusalem? Just read your Bibles. Saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. They had the word of God. They had Daniel. They had Nehemiah. They could have figured it out. The scribes, the Pharisees, the religious elite, they could have done all of these calculations themselves and they could have said, this is it. This is the Messiah. He is literally the Messiah. This is the exact day. You see, God, guys, God is exact. And Jesus is coming back. I, I personally believe in the fall. Jesus fulfilled the spring feast. God is a God of consistency. I believe he's going to come back in the fall. But he could come back today. There's nothing scripturally to stop that. I just, you know, that's my theory. I'm not putting any money in it. Verse 42, saying, again, if you had known, even you, especially this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Isn't that interesting? How many people look at us and it's hidden, and we just kind of scratch our head and go, this is so obvious. This is so obvious. Well, why is it hidden? They don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, so we shouldn't be surprised. Grieved. We're grieved. I'm grieved. I don't know about you, but we're grieved over what's happening. But we're really not surprised. Matter of fact, it's going to get worse. It's going to get way worse. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. So now Jesus is prophesying right now. He's prophesying. Surround you, close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. You weren't looking for the Messiah, the biblical Messiah. You were looking for a political Messiah. Does that sound like America? Are we looking for the religious Messiah? Jesus, not the Antichrist, because you're not going to know who that is until after the rapture, so don't worry about it. Look to the Christ. We need to stay focused on the Christ. And if something good comes out of the government, praise God. Something good comes out of the pastor, praise God. Something good comes out of our mayor or government, whatever, praise God. But don't elevate any man or woman above the Bible. Stay focused on the word of God. Very important. Now, there are arguments for or against the work of Sir Robert Anderson. So so don't come up. I've, I've read them. I understand that. But it sure is impressive because God is exact. And see, since he is outside our time realm, why should it surprise us that he got it right? Is Jesus coming back for his bride, the church? The church, not for Christians because Mormons now say, well, we're Christian. So you have to be very, very specific. Are you a Bible-believing Christian? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Not a God, Jehovah's Witness? That Jesus is the son of God, the savior of the world. Do you believe that? Oh, no, no, he's a great prophet. No, he's a good teacher. No, he's, he's the uh, spirit brother of Lucifer. Well, you're not a Christian then. So don't tell me you're a Christian. You say this in love. You got you to gotta help them because they think they're a Christian. They like Jesus Christ on their badge. Most of them have no idea what Christ means. It's the anointed one. Hebrew, Messiah, the anointed one. That's what Christ means. So we're either following the Messiah or not. Yes, and there's an exact moment in time when he will come again, even in the midst of a perverse generation, we need to look up. We'll wrap this portion of the study up with Matthew twenty-four, twenty-seven. 27. Uh, back when I was working, uh, I think I, was, uh, I don't know, it was my early 20s. I was in a machine shop and there was a man there and we were talking about Jesus on our break. You're not paid to teach or preach. You're paid to, te- to be the best Christian example, best employee on the job site. But he made a comment, yeah, the Messiah is going to come from here. And I forget where he said, a state or a country, wherever it was. And I said, mm, that's not what the Bible says. Yeah, show me. And so I, I took him to Matthew, read all of it to get the context of it. But this says it, Matthew twenty-four, twenty-seven. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. He's coming from heaven. So we're to look from heaven, and that's why we had that mural painted. Jesus is literally coming from heaven, young people. He's not coming from Washington, D.C. He's coming from heaven, and he's coming on time. And especially you young people, I'm glad that you're in here sitting as we look at 1 Corinthians, because you might be here because your parents dragged you here. They dragged you here because they love you enough to drag you here. But at the end of the day, your parents, nor the pastor, nor anyone else can make you believe in Jesus, can make you live the faith, can make you read your Bible, can make you do any of those things. It has to become a personal relationship. And that's what your parents are praying or your grandparents, whoever might be bringing you, is that you would receive Jesus as your Savior and believe in the Bible. And this is just one small example. 300 prophecies Jesus fulfilled. This is just one small example of how accurate God is. And when Jesus says he's coming back, he is coming back. He is. Well, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's get into the next portion of the study. That was a study before the study. We're going to cover verses uh, 22 through 25. Did it the first service. We'll do it again. Mankind was, is, and always will be seeking after the wisdom that this world tries to offer. And in their minds, there's just too much to lose otherwise. You see, the wisdom of this world is focused on the intelligence of man. We're so bright that we're confusing putting curriculum into the public schools, confusing them on whether they're a boy or whether they're a girl. We are so bright. Which automatically shows its limitations, by the way. You see, we're limited in our wisdom. It's it's very temporal. You see, the wisdom of this world is focused upon the interest of mankind. The wisdom of this world is focused upon the inner illumination of mankind. After all the centuries and man's sincere attempts, mankind has made no serious strides towards stability through the wisdom of this world. How can I make that statement? But rather we see a world that appears to be spinning out of control more than ever. Diseases are running rampant from just basic hygiene. Do your own studies. From basic hygiene, there are still countries where diseases are running rampant. We take it for granted. We go to a bathroom, we have soap, we have water. We take it for granted. There are still countries that do not have that, and so they're still having diseases and illnesses due to that. Yet we're so smart. Violence is continuing to rise, and people of true Christian faith are becoming harder to find because the Bible is not appealing to the intellect, and it's supposedly irrelevant. The cross is not appealing to the intellect, but rather repulsive to the natural mind. As believers, though, it's vital that we remember that it is only through the message of the cross that true wisdom is found. Not a show of hands, but I would encourage you to think in your, about your own life, how wise you thought you were before you came to know Christ. And the life that you were living, you thought you were so wise and you had it all together and you were making such great strides. And then maybe the world imploded on you. Maybe something very drastic happened to you and you were brought to your knees, you were brought to, the, to your face and you realize, you know what? I'm not as smart as I thought I was. And if you're sitting here today and you haven't arrived at that place and you're gonna prove God wrong, let me tell you right here, right now, you won't. You will get to that place sooner or later. So just remember this, God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He'll never send you hell. If you reject him, You're sending yourself to hell by saying, I don't want nothing to do with you and I don't want nothing to do with your Bible. Free will. Father, we thank you and praise you for the morning. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, and we thank you for the cross as we're gonna study this morning. If it was not for the cross, none of us would be here this morning as believers. We'd be doing dumb things most likely. We'd be destined for hell. But you, Father, in your eternal wisdom, sent Jesus to die. For all of humanity, as we approach 8 billion people, there's not one person that you do not love. You love every single human being. And if they choose, every single human being could receive Jesus as their Savior. We know they won't, but they could. And so, Lord, we pray for anyone in this room right now, us as believers, we intercede in that spiritual gap. Lord, we pray, remove the blinders from their eyes. If there's anyone in our midst this morning that does not know Jesus as their Savior, remove the blinders from their spiritual eyes that they might see their need for a Savior this morning. And Father, I pray for the gift of teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think I'm hearing a bell, so do me a favor. When you come to church, turn your phones on to vibrate or off turn your alerts off because I'm easily distracted and then when I get distracted I get a little flustered and then that limits the Holy Spirit in my life so do me all a favor I have a hard enough time up here as it is seriously you come up here and teach for 45 minutes see how you do I have a hard enough time as it is so please as few as distractions as possible turn off the little dings you can get them afterwards verse 22 for Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom Let's look at Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, very important. Again, we want to look at the scriptures and cross-reference scriptures. And so the religious Jews of that day came to Jesus and asked him to perform a sign in Matthew chapter 12, 38. And I'm going to read it again as you're turning there. For the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. So we're going to zero in on that right now. Are you seeking after a sign from God, or are you seeking after wisdom? How are you trying to find God? Are you trying to find God? Now, again, most of us are believers here, but for that one person that might be here, are you trying to find God through a sign, or are you trying to find God through wisdom? Well, Paul's going to address that this morning. Matthew chapter 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. So here, 2,000 years ago, nothing new. Verse 39, but Jesus answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Notice how politically correct Jesus was. (laughs) Yeah. And no sign will be given to it except, I love this verse. One of my favorite verses. Except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jonah, you believe in that fish story? Come on. (laughs) Some guy got swallowed by a fish? Give me a break. You know, this is 2021. Why don't you get into reality? You're such a weird Christian. Here's Jesus. And what does Jesus go on to say? For as Jonah, so he confirms that there was a man named Jonah. What does he confirm next? Was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So you got a problem if you're an unbeliever. Or if you're a believer and you don't take the whole word of God as true, Jesus is a liar. Because he just said there's a Jonah, and that this Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. So if you don't believe in the word of God, then Jesus is a liar. So why are you a Christian? That doesn't make any sense. You're following a liar? If you're an unbeliever, you have to make a decision. Jesus is a liar? Or he's telling the truth. If he's telling the truth, why aren't you believing him? Why aren't you receiving him as your savior? If Jesus lied, then he's not God because God cannot lie. So will the Son of Man, notice here what he says, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He was showing even to his disciples, I'm going to die. But just as Jonah got spit out of the whale and then went on to minister to the Ninevites, I'm coming out of the grave. I'm coming out of the grave. They they didn't get it. You see, the religious elites asked this question during the Lord's second year of ministry. After he had already performed many physical healings of the blind, the deaf, cleansing of the lepers, literally healing the lepers, which is still impossible to do today. They can keep it at bay, they can stop it, but they have not found a healing for leprosy yet. And raising the dead. So what does this say? They're really not seeking after a sign so that they might believe, but that they might have something to accuse him of. And maybe that's you today as a believer or even an unbeliever. You really don't want to believe. You just want to accuse God of something. It hasn't changed. We still see people asking God to perform a certain sign and then they'll believe. It's like that person who is trapped in a spot of despair and they cry out, God, you know, if you get me out of this, I will serve you all the days of my life. I'll do it. I'll serve you. God gets them out of that. And do they fulfill their part? No. No, that was just coincidence. Give me another sign. You see, it just confirms how often people still seek after God through signs. Because remember what we're talking about here? For Jews request a sign in 1 Corinthians 1.22. Are you seeking after signs? Are you seeking after wonders? Through signs, yet they will not accept him. You know, they'll look for a crying statue. A certain feeling or emotion. A healing. How about finding the Lord in a tortilla? (laughs) Man, don't put sour cream on it and cheese, man. They're the Lord. It's a tortilla. God has to be real. see, as Christians, we need to be careful that we do not put God to the test because signs are based on sight and not faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, for we walk by faith, not by sight. When a person seeks after signs, the unfortunate truth of the matter is there will always be another sign required. We're seeing it here in the religious elite of the day. So Paul makes this observation, and it's still true today. The Jews still require a sign, and they will end up following the one who will perform them. He is called the false prophet in Revelation 13, 13. He will have power to perform incredible signs, yet these signs are not of God. They are signs that have originated from the pit of hell to deceive mankind during the tribulation period. Again, be careful about asking for a sign or signs. Instead, do as the scriptures teach us to do. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit and then trust that God is truly leading you. You know, the whole fleece thing. I didn't say this at the first service, it just came into my mind, so maybe this is just for one person here. The whole fleece thing, there's nothing scriptural about putting out a fleece before God. Nothing scriptural at all. So if you do that, uh, I just want to encourage you, read your Bible. There's nothing scriptural about it. Matter of fact, the guy that did that didn't trust God. Well, God, if you do this, then I'll trust you. Oh, that happened. Well, that was just a coincidence. Let's flip it up. God, if you do that, then I'll know you're real and I'll finally trust you. Did he finally trust him? No. He gets down to go into battle, and the Holy Spirit says to him, hey, Gideon, you know, if you're afraid, if you're afraid, go down to the camp. What does Gideon do? He goes down to the camp because he's afraid. And then he hears that he's going to win the battle from the enemy. God already told him he was going to hear he was going to win the battle, but he had to have a sign and a sign and another sign. Be careful, Christians, be careful of signs. Be very, very careful of signs. They can be a great distraction to you. You see, when we're in the word focusing on his will, when you're praying, seeking after his will, he's not going to give you a rock, a serpent, a scorpion. He's going to give you more of the Holy Spirit so that you might walk by faith. Well, let's look at the Greeks. Because it says here the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom or the Gentiles. They think that they can find out who God truly is by sitting around and debating who they think he is. Athens is the main philosophical arena during that era, which the city of Corinth was close behind. The Christians at Corinth knew what Paul was trying to communicate. You can't gain a personal relationship with God through an intellectual or reasoning mindset. It's not going to happen. In other words, if you're trying to figure out God before you accept his plan of salvation, it will not work. Why? Isaiah 55 says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Right there, he shows us the first problem. We do not think like God. We think like humans. Very short-sighted and self-absorbed. In fifty-five nine, it goes on to say, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. If you were God, would you have saved yourself? Let that sink him. Would you have sent your one and only son to die for you? Were you worthy to be saved? Thank God. It's not dependent on you or me. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. The Holy Spirit gives us another admonition to be careful that we do not seek after the infinite mind of God through the finite intellect of man. Back in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, so the whole world, Gentiles, I have this next part highlighted, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Paul goes back to what he had shared earlier in verse 17 and 18. It's all about the acceptable sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. When someone comes at you and insists on a sign of some sort or tries to talk down to you because your belief in God, just take them back to the cross. It will either cause them to stumble. You're nuts. You're just crazy. Or take it to heart and repent of their sinful ways. Why? Because you're a sign yourself. Think about this, this week. As I already mentioned you to you, would you save yourself? Would you send your only son to die for you? I mean, if we're real with ourselves, going back to our BC days before Christ and the way we were living, if we were honest with ourselves, we'd probably say, most of us would probably say, you're kidding, worthless. I was doing nothing but serving the devil. Why would I sacrifice? And, and, and hopefully you would receive Maybe you won't. Why would I sacrifice my only son? I don't even know, because I'm not like, God. I don't even know if you're going to receive the Christ. But God is outside our time realm, so He willingly sends His one and only Son. You see here in this verse that it is the one who fulfilled the scriptures of the coming Christ that has all power and wisdom. No one else can make that claim, not you or I. Just keep pointing people back to Jesus. It's God's responsibility to do the rest. You know, I think in our early Christianity, and no show of hands, but I think for, for me, I'll speak for myself, in my early Christianity, I got the impression that I saved people. And some people even say that. Well, I saved so-and-so. And, and I get what they're saying. They're young in the Lord. Um, they haven't gotten to that realization that we don't save anybody. We water, we plant, we fertilize. We're the hands and the feet of God. God saves. But I think what happens to a lot of Christians is because they don't save anyone, they basically say, what's the point? I'm not going to witness anymore. What's the point? I'm not seeing anybody saved. I haven't saved anybody. I haven't prayed with anybody. What's the point? And so they stop watering. They stop fertilizing. They stop planting because they're the problem. It's a great tactic of the enemy. And if that's you, if, I'm talking, if the Holy Spirit's talking to you, put those aside and start planting, start watering, start fertilizing. And if God allows you to pray with someone to receive Jesus, which I have not done hundreds of, hundreds of times, I've done just a few times, maybe 10, less, just so you know, if the fruit's ripe, the fruit's ripe. If it's not, it's not. But it is such a privilege to pray with someone to receive Jesus. But no, don't negate everything else. Because what you and I are doing is just what Paul's going to share. We're just doing all that. Jesus even says this. You think you've got it all together? You're just reaping what everybody else has sowed, you disciples. You're just reaping what everybody else has sowed. Don't think it's you. It's me. It's the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage all of us, keep planting, keep watering, keep fertilizing. And if God allows you to pray with somebody this week to receive Jesus as their Savior, cherry on top. Cherry on top. But no, don't negate the others, guys. Don't negate the others. Just keep pointing people back to Jesus. It's God's responsibility to do the rest. We'll finish up with verse 25, 1 Corinthians 1.25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Foolishness is absurd. Weakness is feeble. Mankind is living in outer space. But we can't stop world hunger. Isn't this kind of incredible? We'll spend billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars to put somebody up in a space suit inside and think we've arrived and millions of people are going to die of starvation this coming week, the next seven days. This is reality. Hello, 21 millions of people will starve to death this coming week. That's just stats. That's just stats. Yet we have all the capabilities to provide for the whole world. But corrupt governments will not let that food in. It goes back to the heart of man. Wickedness. Mankind has created technology that can extend life, human life, so to speak, by years. Matter of fact, if you go back to 1900, the average lifespan, I used to think it was 35. It was 42. So it was 42, statistically, in 1900. In 2000, the average lifespan was 72. So in 100 years, due to modern medication, God knows the number of our days, so we're not going to get out of that appointment. But theoretically, due to all of that, we improved lifespan by 30 years. Yet, sexual sin is rampant, and killing of babies in the wombs by the millions. Wait a minute, I thought that website that's by the government said from conception. Young people, it's from conception. Abortion is murder. Abortion is murder. And there's no call for murder. Even though we think that we've arrived and achieved great and lofty goals as mankind, they mount up to a small stack of pennies in the wealth of a millionaire. This is just my little illustration. It's not much, but God is the billionaire And mankind has the pennies. It's like that guy that uh, took a bar of gold to heaven when he died and he had a bar of gold and he was so excited that he could take a bar of gold to heaven. I'm going to give God this bar of gold. And when he got to heaven, he found out that the streets are paved with gold. He brought asphalt to heaven. (laughs) What are you taking to heaven, guys? When a person acknowledges that Jesus can save them, when they ask God to forgive them of their sins, they become wise beyond their years. Father, we thank you and praise you that you do give us more of your Holy Spirit. You initially give us your Holy Spirit, and that's when wisdom really takes place. We might have thought that we had it all together and that we were so bright. But now that we've been in the Lord for a few decades or maybe for a few weeks, we've realized, man, was I dumb. I didn't know hardly anything. Thank you for saving me. And Father, if we don't have a heart of appreciation for salvation, I pray that you would bring that heart of salvation to the forefront. That each and every day and throughout the day, we'd say, thank you, God, for saving me. Help me to plant. Help me to water. Help me to fertilize. And Lord, if it's your will, help me, allow me to pray with someone to receive Jesus in the parking lot, in the grocery aisle, family members, neighbors, wherever it might be, on my break at work or after work, before work, wherever, Lord. I just want to be used by you. I just want to be used by you. I want to see you glorified. I want to see your son's name high and lifted up. So use me, Lord. Help me to be the best student on campus, the best of my abilities. And that might not be A's, it might be C's. But I try my best. Help me to be the best employee on the job site, on time, not taking anything that's not mine, not using the computer for my own time. Help me to be the best employee, Lord, that best example of of what a Christian employee is. Help me to be a good Christian boss, Father. To treat my employees with respect and honor, to treat them fairly. And Lord, help us to love one another, as your word says to do, as Christ loves us. No greater love can we can we exemplify than Christ's love for us. So help us to do that this week, Lord. Whether it's five seconds with someone or five hours. Help us to love them. Father, we thank you for the free gift of salvation.